I'm Tony Pringley, your host for the Diversified Podcast, a space where we celebrate and amplify the voices of entrepreneurs from underrepresented backgrounds. On my podcast, you'll hear firsthand from those who have maneuvered through various barriers and have taken a chance and made their business dreams into a reality. Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Diversified Podcast. Again, I'm Tony Bringley, your host, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in today. Today, we have a very special guest, Toby Agbuna, who is the CEO and co-founder of Chezzy, an all-in-one solution designed to help companies build impactful employee resource groups. Toby is passionate about building inclusive workplaces, as well as a huge advocate for entrepreneurship. Today, we're going to chat with Toby to learn more about Chezzy, the importance of employee resource groups within organizations, and any advice he has for aspiring founders and entrepreneurs. Let's get this conversation started. So how are you today, Toby? Welcome. Yeah, thanks. I'm doing good. Happy Friday. How are you? Yes, happy Friday. How's your day going? Uh, pretty good. I was trying to get some coffee earlier at this co-working place and I really couldn't. So it's got me a little annoyed, but I'm very happy to be here and I appreciate you uh, having me on. Of course. And I'm so excited for us to kind of jump in into Chezzy. So, um, I like to ask all of our guests kind of about their aha moment. And this is kind of the moment that you had that really prompted you to create your business or your company. So can you let the listeners know what your aha moment was that prompted you to create Chezzy? Yeah. Um, so we've kind of gone through a couple pivots like most early stage companies do. But so we started as like a glass door for people from underrepresented communities. Um, and the aha moment for that was me. I had been working at Accenture and management consulting for two years. Um, I had decided that, just, that I wanted a career change and I had gotten pretty into diversity and inclusion through um, some diversity work that I was doing for Accenture at my alma mater at UNC. So I decided that I wanted to get into DEI and I had found a job at Lyft that I was really interested in. I looked at my LinkedIn to see if I had anyone in my network that worked at Lyft and I didn't. So I just went on and I kind of just searched for people that worked at Lyft and I found myself looking to connect with other black people. And it was, that was kind of the aha moment that I was like, you know, there's not really a way for me to know what it's like to be black at a company or, um, you know, I brought the idea to my sister, who's now my co-founder. And she was like, yeah, I don't have the same thing. I can't figure out what it's like to be a black woman at a company. Um, so that's kind of the the impetus for starting Chessy as it initially was Diversify when we were kind of doing the career reviews. Um, in terms of where we are now focusing on employee resource groups, we had pivoted to, to building out an employee resource, like a, a DEI, like productivity software, basically. Mm-hmm. And I built an MVP, a minimum viable product. And I, I showed it to a couple of my friends that work in DEI and they all like hated it. They all said it was really bad. But um, one of those friends, um, reached back out and they were like, Hey, I know you're working on this, this solution. Do you have anything to help us manage our ERGs? And I was like, you know, not really, but you know, I kind of just tweaked what we had and showed it to her. And she was like, yeah, this is great. Like if this was like fully functional and all this other stuff, like we'd be, we'd be good for it. And, um, that in my head, like this is a solid, solid sized company to have about 3000 people there in the tech space. I was like, well, if they need it, chances are other companies need it too. And, um, you know, we just kind of, went all in on employee resource groups from there. And, you know, now we have a handful of customers and we're just like looking to learn more about the way that companies manage their groups and um, build out a product that helps people feel like they have a strong community at their company, which is, I think, the end goal of um, 
all the corporate ERGs. Yeah, and that's really exciting. And I think one thing that a lot of our listeners may kind of want some more insight on is kind of like what is an ERG? What exactly is an employee resource group? And why are they so important to a company or an organization? Yeah. Um, so ERGs, I wish I could give you like the full um, history on them, but they've been around for a while. I, they, I, they, we had them at Accenture when I was working there, when I started working there in about 2016. Um, they're basically like internal communities for companies, for people at a company that share an identity. So like you might mm-hmm. have, like Facebook has, I think Black at Facebook, Google has the Gaglers, um, you know, different companies that will have a Pride ERG or a Women's ERG or a Veterans ERG. Um, and the idea is let's is to create a safe space, a community for these people to come together and kind of just network with each other, right? Feel like and to feel like they belong because they have people that share experiences and identities and that sort of thing. Um, and they can be a really powerful tool for companies in terms of creating that sense of engagement and ultimately making people feel like they belong in a company so they stay, right? I think the core mm-hmm. core um, benefit of ERGs is boosting retention. Um, but most companies don't have the data or just the systems in place to like get the most out of their employee resource groups. And that what, that is kind of where Chessie comes in, in terms of giving them that system and helping them better manage their groups and track impact. Yeah, and as someone who works in diversity and inclusion, I see firsthand um, the importance that ERGs or BRGs play and like an employee's experience at a company. And if they're built out the right way, it really can change the way an employee works. It can make them more motivated and it just makes them feel like more included in the community. Mm-hmm. And so now that we've kind of talked about ERGs, some companies will call, you know, their groups, affinity groups, employee resource groups, or business resource groups, or BRGs. Yeah. Can you tell us kind of the difference between those three? Yeah. Um, so an affinity group is, there is like an, um, an employee resource group maturity model. Um, an affinity okay. group is kind of like the foundational one. So um, what that looks like in, in action is probably a, a company that has, you know, a black a channel for its black employee, a Slack channel for its black employees, or it's, it's female employees, but it's not, you know, they don't necessarily host events. They don't have budget. It's kind of just every now and then they might throw like a virtual happy hour, or like mm-hmm. get people together after, to go to, to come together after work. Um, it's generally just a place for, you know, it's still kind of focused on that sense of community, but it's super informal. Right. And mm-hmm. then you employee resource groups where the groups have a bit of a budget, they throw regular events, but it's still mainly focused on kind of socialization, fellowship, that sort of thing, which is all very important, right? But yeah. I think the next, and so it is formal, right? They have a budget, but they're not necessarily focused on um, business outcomes, right? So how they can partner with their marketing team or their sales team or um, the HR team for recruiting efforts or anything like that. And I think once you start partnering with different organizations within the business, that's when you become a business resource group. Um, mm-hmm. where you're, you can speak towards you know, uh, the black ERG referring more black people into the company, right? And that's, that's yeah. partnering with the HR team or the, the pride ERG working with the marketing team to make sure the content is inclusive and, and representative for pride month, something like that, right? That's a business outcome. Um, and that's a very hard stage to get to very yeah. few companies, I think have their, their ERGs at that point, but I think that should be most companies goals. If you're having ERGs to make sure that they're having a business impact, because once they have that, it's a lot easier for you to ask for more money exactly to um demonstrate the the impact that your groups are having yeah so it seems like business resource groups are kind of like the goal so say someone is working at like a smaller company that may not even have an affinity group or Mm -hmm. erg or brg 
any advice for someone who's like, I want to bring like a group into my company, like where should they kind of start? Yeah, it's so ERGs are intended to be employee led. Um, and I do see a lot of people kind of saying that they want to start ERGs, but they don't see a lot of momentum behind them for the rest of the world. Yeah. And I typically say that that's okay. Like, you know, you don't have, there's no law that says you have to have ERGs, right? Like you don't have to um, go through the work of creating these things and identifying budget. If like, you don't believe that your employees are going to find interest or value in them. With that being said, part of that is probably coming from a place of, um, from your employees, at least like not necessarily knowing the benefits that could come with managing that group. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have to start somewhere, right? So if you're someone at your company and you do think that there might be a little bit of interest in it, see if you can, um, we have a bunch of templates and kind of things like that for actually like forming an ERG, but, um, see if you can talk to somebody. Generally, this, uh, this, this thing is managed by the people ops team or the employee engagement team, or if they have a DEI team, they would probably be the ones to manage it. But, um, see if you can get in touch with somebody there to see if the company has a formal process for launching an ERG. Mm -hmm. And then. Um, chances are, if you're considering launching a group, you probably already have some form of an affinity group at the company, right? You might not mm -hmm. be aware, but there's almost always, almost definitely a black. Yeah, there always is. Yeah. Or a women's Slack channel. So, um, talk to members in there, see if there is any interest and then go to your people ops, your HR team, whoever would be most likely to be managing or in charge of that thing. And, um, try to find out what the process for launching your is. Yeah. And if you have someone within your organization that, you know, is focused on like diversity, I'm sure they'll, they would be working on like building those affinity groups or ERGs, but going to them first is also like a good step into the right direction as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so now that we've kind of learned more about ERGs, BRGs, affinity groups, let's talk more about the process of being a co-founder yeah. of a very successful, uh, company like Chessy. So female and minority founded companies can have a bit more difficulty receiving funding for their companies. Yeah. Did you, and if so, how have you approached gathering funding for Chessy? Yeah, we haven't done any fundraising just yet. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we won a grant from NPR last May for $50,000 at- So exciting, I saw yeah. that. <laughs> that propelled us a, a good a good way. Um, we've put in some of our own funds and then we've, we've you know, our business. So I think, I don't know what lifetime revenue is, but probably somewhere around like $80,000 or something like that. So um, mm -hmm. we've been able to push ourselves through and, you know, we have some money in the bank now to get us through May and then a couple more deals signed that should hopefully get us through June and July and that sort of thing. But um, we are thinking about fundraising right now. And like the name of the game is really to figure out how much you need. Um, obviously investors want to know how much you're going to, how much money you're raising and what you're going to use it for. Otherwise mm -hmm. it's kind of and they like write you a check. Um, so we haven't actually, you know, had the full experience of trying to raise money and, and seeing what that's like. Um, I think that we do have a good story and that we've been able to get a good number of customers relatively quickly and mm -hmm. build with, you know, pretty limited resources. So, I mean, you know, this obviously investors are going to ask different other questions, but in my head, like, this is what we've been able to do with no code and learning stuff on the fly. Like imagine if we were yeah. to hire people that knew what they were doing. Right. And like got mm -hmm. together and all this other stuff. So, um, yeah, we haven't fundraised and so we haven't necessarily hit some of the challenges or the, the, you know, the walls that maybe other people have, but it's possible that we do. Um, and I think, you know, for us, it's just about really preparing and making sure that we have a good story to tell their investors when that time comes. 
Yeah. So let's kind of talk more about like that story, right? So the way that you kind of won that grant from um, NPR, how do you feel like you kind of stood out from like the competition to win the grant from NPR? Yeah, it's it's weird because like these pitch competitions that you do can be very different from like a venture, like pitching to a traditional VC right? mm-hmm. competition. We knew going in that it was much more tied to kind of like the impact our company had could have and less about the business and like the business model. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really just focused on, especially because when we pitched, we were still in like the glass door stage of our company. Um, so we just kind of focused on like everyone that's ever applied for a job has asked this question, like, am I going to belong here? Like, am I going to do, am I actually going to like it? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. we can, and for us specifically focusing on people from these unrepresented communities, if we can become like their go-to trusted source for that, the way that most people go to Glassdoor for salary information or, um, even Glassdoor for like job reviews, right. If we can get people to to know that this is where you should come for like the real, right. The real, Mm -hmm. that's, I think that's kind of the story that we sold or that we told, um, and, you know, on top of the like massive impact that I think we could have, we also have a chance to be just a great business, right? And like, there's a need for this and there are budgets behind this. And um, there's a lot of awareness around, a lot of awareness and momentum around DEI and ERG specifically right now. Um, you know, we're kind of poised to, to capitalize on that. Yeah. And it seems like with like doing pitch competitions to like NPR, building a new company, mm-hmm you know, and after rebranding as well, um, many founders can kind of struggle with making the decision to leave their nine to five job and pursue their business full time. How and when did you know it was the right time for you to make that leap? And how has it been so far? Yeah. um, That's a big, great question. Um, (laughs) It's hard. It's hard. We worked on Chessie for two years. I worked on Chelsea for about two years before I quit and went full time. Um, and wow. my sister still hasn't quit, right? She still works her day job. And, um, you know, like, I would like to say you should quit when you have enough to support yourself, like the business is generating enough money or you've raised enough money to support yourself. But I think that you kind of have to do it a little prematurely, a little prematurely. Um, and with, that's what I did. I, I quit in October before we had signed anybody. Before we have anybody. Um, and I guess my advice to people is to like, you're going to take the lead, but like take it with like a parachute, you know, like, Oh yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't quit my job fully. I took a leave. So oh, I'm okay. on leave now. So like if knock on wood, but if Chessie just like totally flopped tomorrow, right. I, I could go back to my job. Um, okay. So you know, I, like you don't need to, you hear these stories about entrepreneurs just like having an idea on a napkin and like quitting their jobs and going full steam on it. And like, you know, I think a lot of people that maybe are listening to this podcast or people of color, people that, you know, people that look like us or come from um, underrepresented communities just don't have the financial mm. to do that kind of thing. Um, so you have to be strategic about it. If there is a way, if there are ways for you to like take a leave or a sabbatical or um, work part time or something like that, like don't be ashamed to do that at all. Because I think you know people make time for the things that they're they care about. And if like you care about your business, especially now that a lot of people are remote, like you probably actually can do double time, right? And work your full time job and work on your business as well until you have a significant size. But 
it's weird. I think the the core question, the core answer to your question is honestly like when you know, you know, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you'll have a feeling, you'll you'll feel good about it, um, and you I don't know, you just know when it's the right time. Like I, I felt it was the right time in November, or sorry, in October, um, especially after we won that grant, and you know, I just kind of did it from there. Yeah. Well, how has it been, kind of working? with Chazzy on like a full-time basis? It's been good. It's been good. It's been really freeing because I have, you know, any meeting on my calendar that I have is like my meeting, you know? Mm-hmm. I was just like drops on my calendar. Um, and it's really hard. It's really, really hard. But I think when you're working on something that is yours, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that like it never feels like work because it definitely does. It definitely feels like work, but um, you, for me, I'm just like really enjoying like the process of it all, you know, mm-hmm. like we onboarded an intern, his name is Carlos this week, this week. And I was like, I did some digging into like how to organize your company Slack channel because now we have a company Slack channel, right? Now we yeah. have, you know what I mean? Like small, because before it was just my sister and I, so we would just text each other, but now I can't mm-hmm. yeah text Carlos. So we have, um, a general Slack channel and I have an individual chat with just him and then one with my sister and one with our advisor. Um, and we're going to be like onboarding our CTO soon. So I'm thinking about recruiting and I'm thinking about product strategy and sales. And like, I have to do, I'm trying to do some like financial modeling this, this weekend, like all these different things that, Oh my gosh, I have no idea how to do even now that I'm like in the middle of doing that. I still don't really know what I'm doing. And I think it's, um, it's really nice to just, be getting this experience, be like forced into getting this experience, but know that like in five years and 10 years, I'm going to be able to look back and be like, damn, I really, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on this podcast. (laughs) You can, you can. I'm really gonna, I really like learned all that on the fly. And my sister really learned all this digital marketing stuff and sales stuff on the fly and and look where it got us. Yeah. So do you have like a new respect for like CEOs and founders of like huge companies now that you're kind of doing your own thing as well. You know, what's funny is that I feel like it, I'm probably, I mean, I'm obviously ignorant to it, but, um, as like, we just brought on like kind of full-time our CTO cause I was okay. doing a lot of engineering and stuff before. And it's so crazy once like, as, as, a, as a CEO, I think as of, a, of an established company with different teams and stuff like that, your job really is just like to be a people manager mm-hmm. right? because you've hired people to do specific jobs that have a lot more experience and talent and like, an, and, and just expertise in those specific things. So, um, you know, as I, you know, as we grow our team and we have a product division and a marketing division and an engineering team and stuff like that, like it's, I think it's going to be really cool for me to look down and be like, yeah, that person managing our product team knows 10 times more about product management than I do. Right. Like we mm. company because of that. Right. Um, so I actually, I don't know. I don't know if I would say I'm like, I, I have a newfound respect for those people. Especially I do. I think I do. If that person, if that person that's the head of a company is a, a founder CEO, right. Mm-hmm. And hired in CEO, obviously, you know, you respect everybody, but yeah, yeah, yeah. from zero to one, you know, as, as, uh, now that I'm in the middle of that, now we're trying to take something from zero to one. Um, it's really hard. And I think it's, and it's just a different, um, it's just different from taking something from one to 10, you know, mm-hmm. zero to one, yeah. 
whole different it's a whole different ballgame. So I have the most respect for founders that are also in the trenches with me or that have got been through the trenches and made their way out, you know. So Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, seeing something that you just like ideate on like a piece of paper, just like in a notes page and like being able to take it to like a huge revenue generating company is, is really, really awesome. And as we began to like build out companies and seeing like founders and CEOs, many times during that process of building a company, you may find yourself having to rebrand. And I know Chessie did have to rebrand, um, why did you rebrand and how and kind of how was that transition? Yeah, we rebranded. Um, I don't know if I'm legally allowed to say, but it had to do with legal things. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, it, it, I think it came at a good time because we were thinking about taking the business in a different direction at that, like, in terms of being, being in this, like, glass door job review space and going into something else. So it did come at a good time. But um, for us personally, I don't think that the rebrand really, I think part of the rebrand was just like a change in mindset, you know, mm -hmm. like, we're really doing this now, you know, like, this is a real thing. We have our domain and all this other stuff. Um, and it kind of gave us an excuse to make a pivot, right? And like kind of leave diversify as it was, RIP diversify, but like leave that behind us to where people Google diversify or they like they Google Chessy and they expect to see URGs. That's what mm. um so yeah, for us the rebrand was more was more um it was for legal reasons, but I think behind it was just kind of came a shift in, in mindset and the way that we approach the business. So, and, and as people who may have to rebrand one day, sometimes you can feel like, oh my gosh, like I failed, like now I have to like take a new direction. How do you kind of stay inspired and not feeling like a quote unquote, like failure or something didn't work out and take that as inspiration? I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's also a founder about this earlier this week. And it's, it's really like being a founder is pretty, a founder co-founder is, is pretty lonely. Like it's very easy to, because it's so public, right? Like you're posting on your LinkedIn and that sort of thing. So people know that you're doing it right. And, um, for us, fortunately we've had some traction. So I can say like, oh yeah, we just signed another customer like earlier this month, right? Like that's a big deal. Um, but if you don't have traction or you don't, you don't really feel like you're making progress because honestly, before we signed this, this, this company this past week, the last four or five weeks, I had been, I'd been pretty down. I'm like, wow, you know, like our, our sales pipeline is, is growing, but people aren't like actually signing contracts and things like that. It's really easy to get down on yourself. Um, so I think one thing that you can do, what was your question was, you know, like advice for people as they approach rebranding or. Yes. So like, how do you kind of stay inspired if you do have to like pivot and yeah. go another direction? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, I mean, I think you can look at pivots as just like every company pivots, right? Every company pivots. They're big and small ones, but you can kind of look at pivots as like, it's really, it's kind of corny, but like it's a new opportunity. Like you just figured out something that didn't work. You can leave that behind you now and go chase this thing that might work. Mm -hmm. um, and then like, we've found something that we think works. So now like, it's less about, um, I think like when you start a company, your number one goal at the beginning is to find your identity. I find the thing that people will actually pay you for Once you find that, it's really just about executing and like growing that company under that identity. Um, so honestly, like it's, it's probably hard. It's much easier said than done, but if you can look at 
pivots as um, just another opportunity to find that identity. It's probably, you know, it should be a little bit easier, um, but it's hard. Every time like you try something new and it doesn't work out, you, you get frustrated and you um, get upset about it. But if you can look at it as a new opportunity, I think it does take some of that edge off. Yeah, I think that's like key is like staying optimistic, taking it as a new um, opportunity, a new direction and something that could be a, a much better idea than your first idea that can take your company to another level, exactly. um, which is which is clearly what Chessie is doing right now, which is super exciting to watch. Um, so as we kind of close out your episode, I would love for you to just really give your most authentic, real advice that you would like to share with any aspiring entrepreneurs, uh, that are listening. Yeah. Um, I always tell people to, like you and I had a conversation about this podcast actually. And, um, you know, you actually just went full force for it. I went for the podcast, but if someone has come to me, like other people, other friends have suggested like throwing out a podcast or starting a business before. And I always tell them like to start with like the smallest possible thing that you can do. That's that gets you closer to launching that actual thing. All right. So, mm-hmm. you know, you want, you want a podcast, but, um, maybe you could have started this. Maybe you're a bad example because you just went straight to it, but like yeah. <laughs> us, maybe, maybe I could say that, um, like Chesney slash diversify started with a blog. Right, mm. a series of articles on Medium, and I was just trying to like basically prove myself as somebody that knows DEI, and then um, we took those blog posts and we just shifted them and kind of like merged them into the the diversified blog, and um, I think once you start to see people liking the smallest form of something that you have, right, like I. Mm-hmm. My blog, my blog posts and liking him and things like that. Um, it gives you a little bit more momentum towards, okay, like now it's a blog. Let's, let's make it like a standalone website off of medium. Okay. Now let's make it a, um, a form for people to just submit the reviews. We won't actually post them. We'll just kind of like analyze the data and then, okay, now let's make it like a place where you can't do anything else, but just view like anonymized reviews for every tech company or something like that. Right. And then we added filtering and then we added, um, segmentation by like job titles and things like, you know what I mean? Like you kind of, you just, you start with the yeah. smallest possible thing and you work your way up to whatever your goal actually is. Um, another piece of advice is just to start, like you can do all yeah. the, I, I, I am a huge planner. I plan everything. Like I'm, you know, I plan my schedule this around this podcast reporting and I plan what I'm doing tonight and stuff like that. But there's only so much you can learn just planning, like at a certain point you got to just do. You know, you just, yeah. you just got to launch it. You just got to hit publish. You just got to um, record that first podcast. So um, I guess those would be my two pieces of advice is like advice, start small and just go. Yeah. And I totally agree. It's like, if you start with something small, like the dream will feel like more digestible because sometimes if you look at a dream and you're just looking at like the end of it, it yeah. can get very scary. You can get right. overwhelmed and then you don't want to go after it. But like you said, if you start with something small and then get to like something a little bit bigger, then your dream will become a little bit more digestible. Right, right. Um, Another piece of advice is, you know, if you can do what you can to like bring your ideas to life. So I listened to a course by Sarah Blakely, who's the founder of Spanx. Oh, cool. Um, She was just saying she used to like drive around and 
she got a lot of her good business ideas in the car so she would just drive around and like write them you know and think of stuff and then maybe like stop and write them in her phone or whatever but she whenever she had a business idea she would name it immediately wow it brings it to life because you can call it chesie or, or you know with a diversified podcast or whatever like you can name it you can refer it to it as something other than you can't it's not just you saying oh i need to get to work on this idea that i have you can say i get i need to get to work on chesie uh, yeah the small stuff like that that you can do i think really helps um yeah that's i guess another little snippet that you can have yeah that's that's actually really cool because i feel like once you put a name to it again it just becomes more di- like digestible you right. can see the dream slowly coming and even if that just means giving a dream a name and if you have to rebrand or change the name in the future at least you know in the the direction that you're moving so toby this was such a good conversation it's been really good to kind of learn about your journey with chesi rebranding um you know and about employee resource group affinity groups brgs all the things so how can listeners get in contact with you or find you on social media your website for chesi let us know yeah, um, so with Chezzy.co, not Chezzy.com, it's C-H-E-Z-I-E. Um, if you're anyone that manages in ERG or participates in ERG, or if you're you know, a diversity program manager and you're looking for some support with your employee resource groups, feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can email me at, at toby.chezzy.co. Um, also, I have a personal website that's launching pretty soon, so look out for that. Yay! Um, and... Yeah, happy to chat with anyone about employee resource groups or just general like entrepreneurship, startup, founder questions. Always cool to like network with people. So, and again, Tony, thank you for having me. This has been great, and I appreciate you know you you reaching out. Of course, yeah. So, thank you all, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Diversified Podcast. I hope you um, learned a little bit more about Chesi, and I hope that you learned a little bit more as you um, move toward to being an aspiring entrepreneur. Thank you so much, Toby, and thanks for tuning in. Of course, thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest updates, make sure to give us a follow on Instagram at The Diversified Podcast. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time. Bye.